Hey folks, welcome back to the Ezra Lip Hour, more or less. It's really great to be back with you, and I am here recording this introduction back, I guess you could say, where the seed for this podcast started, which is backstage at the Sweetwater Music Hall in Mill Valley, California. My band Magic and the Other, as I mentioned last week, is opening for the amazing Jennifer Hartswick band, so um, I'm here early for a sound check and thought I would record this intro. But yes, so a little over a year ago, just about a year ago, last August, um, I did the very first, I didn't do the very first Ezra Lip Hour more or less interview, but I did what started out as the seed for this, which was uh, Meet the Musicians with Ezra Lip, which was a uh, Facebook video video vlog, if you will. And I interviewed my good friend, Danny Eisenberg, who is a uh, keyboardist and, and great musician in lots of bands and ended up putting out a few of those on Facebook in the subsequent weeks and then kind of retired it for a while and regrouped and then got the idea to convert that project to an audio format and hence you have the Ezra Lip Hour more or less which has been going strong well for the last uh, several months. Anywho so here I am back at the Sweetwater in the same conference room where it all began and happy to be here. Thanks so much for everyone who's been leaving ratings and reviews on iTunes. I really appreciate it. It helps the podcast. It helps people find it. So please don't be shy if you haven't done so already. Please do so. Also, please visit my website, sign up for the newsletter, and you can keep updated on all the podcasts and all the musical happenings. And, and, um, and uh, I, I, think, I think it's fun. I'll, I'll try to make the newsletters more fun. You can, you can rate me on the fun factor for those newsletters too. So moving right along, I'm really excited about my guest today. I first met this person um, about 15 years ago at some music show. I don't remember exactly where, but we were both living in Vermont where he still lives. And I asked if he would give me a drum lesson in my basement and he did. So he came over uh, to where I would rented for my tenure at the University of Vermont um, on Riverside Ave. And he walked in and he said, I feel like I've, I've been to this place before. And then he realized, yeah, indeed, yes, that um, the, the home which we were renting belonged to a, uh, formerly belonged to a friend of his. And he actually played a New Year's Eve concert in the basement there, right where we were getting the, uh, the drum lesson sometime in the early 90s, I, I think. And uh, I, th- I thought at the time, I still think, but I thought at the time that that was pretty cool, especially since myself and the friends that we were living with would throw some really epic um, parties, specifically concerts in that basement. So I was glad to hear that we weren't the first to start that tradition on our house on Riverside Ave. So my guest today is Russ Lawton, and he's best known for his work being the a uh, long time current and original drummer for the Trey Anastasio band of, of fish fame. In addition to playing since 1998 with Trey Anastasio band, he also has been on dozens, perhaps hundreds of records. He's been, he's been a professional drummer for a long time. He was uh, used to live in Boston and played with the Nigerian Afro Afro funk band Zebra. He 
is part of a drums and keys duo with Ray Pakowski, who is the keyboard player from Trey's band. That is called Soleil Monday. They are pretty cool. They're on Rope Dope Records. He's got co-writing credits with Trey for a number of Trey songs as well as Fish songs featured on the album Farmhouse, like Gotta Jaboo, Sand, and the Grammy-nominated song First Tube. He's recorded with Mike Gordon, Jen Hartswick, Strange Folk, and lots of others, lots, lots of others. He's been doing this for a long time. What I what I like about Russ is he's got a this really great re- reputable gig working with Trey, but he just at the end of the day is a working musician like like uh, like everyone else. And when he's off Trey tour, he's taking every gig he can, or maybe not every gig he can, but he's he's working. He's doing a lot of stuff, and he's practicing, and he's writing. He's putting out his own songs his own records, booking his own tours and shows and uh, really, you know, and he's he's in his early 60s. So he's kind of like a really great example of a working musician and what you got to do to keep keep it all going. And, you know, even even if you have a if I'll say a cush gig like, you know, Trey Anastasio, you still got to you still got to hustle. You still got to do it. So uh, it's a good lesson and um, very humbling for for uh, myself and and I'm guessing most people that that would hear that. Really excited about this interview. It was a really good hang. I hadn't seen Russ since that lesson um, until this summer in Quincy. We reconnected at the High Sierra Music Festival backstage and told Russ about the podcast. And he said, yes, he'd love to to, uh, come on and, and have a chat with me. And I'm really glad we did. Please enjoy this great conversation I had with the one and only Russ Lawton. Stop New York when I was like uh, younger, 21. And then when I came to Vermont, I joined this band, Zebra, and we had a lot of gigs in the city. We definitely started hitting the city a lot, you know, back in the days. And so I, but I never lived there. We talked about moving there to Brooklyn back before Brooklyn was hip. <laughs> but uh, <clears throat> back in the 70s, I'm, I'm going way back, man. I'm like older. The, <laughs> so yeah. To, and so, so, okay. So this is, so what year, what years are we talking about when you joined Zebra? 77 oh wow 19s. yeah so i'm like people though I'm, I'm lucky i'm sort of like you know i think i look older but i'm pretty lucky i'm 62 years old man I'm right like, i've been around i've been around a long time and done a lot of you know i just had like a, a little flood in my basement we got some serious rain in vermont while we were in quincy by the way my wife had to deal with all of it my mm. brother-in-law and i had all these old cds and some stuff got a little wet and i was just going through some of the stuff it's like oh yeah this band it was like <laughs> you know five bands later i'm still at it you know whatever which is not that bad in a way but i've always been kind of like a band guy you know was was uh but zebra wasn't your first that wasn't your first band you no no maybe like the first one that kind of was touring a a little bit and that kind of thing yeah and i was living in woodstock and i would play with all these musicians and a lot and i i went there to go to go to the school called the creative music studio jazz it's a jazz school which i never really got the money to attend but i would go to all the you know all the concerts and like seminars and things that they had for free but there was a lot of famous musicians that lived there which i found out once i moved there like mm. oh the band hey there's you know there's levon helm oh there's like this guy or that guy or jack DiGenet. it was amazing you know i mean so you know so basically what, I, what i'm trying to say is that when 
after a while, I was like, God, it would really be nice to be a band that draws really well. You know, that's a some, somewhat successful band. You know, you kind of that, that would always been my goal to be in a creative band, not just join some like cover band and play holiday and six nights a week, which you can kind of get, which you could get sucked into that back then. You know what I mean? And, and were you, were you doing some of that as well as, uh, yeah, I mean, I know eventually you join other bands, but I mean, you had a taste of that life, I imagine. Well, of the, of the holiday in life. Yeah. Like kind of just like I, the random working drummer gigs, corporate yeah. wedding. Well, not really. It's corporate. Uh, let me think. Back when I was nineteen, I, I I was in this original band when I was like nineteen, and when that band, that first original band, melted down, I I joined up with this singer I used to play with in high school, this uh, Cape Verdean guy, uh, Bobby Santos, and he's an amazing singer and songwriter. And we started a band, and that's the kind of gigs we used to get right off. But like the bass player was Doug Wimbish from Living Color. Oh wow! And Gra- Grandmaster Flash. So. Huh. He was like, my, he's like, I just played with him a couple of years ago, and it was funny. I haven't played with him in 40 years, but it was a great band. The guitar player, Les, this guy, Les Cupers from Cape Cod, and where I grew up, and just amazing band. But we didn't do it for too long. But yeah, that was my first six nights a week mm. thing for like a month at a place. You know, it's kind of interesting. I got my butt kicked because everybody was better than me. I, I I got out of that band and started taking lessons in Boston with this teacher. After that, yeah, so yeah, and that was, was really good. That was Gene you know? Roma. Yeah, that was Gene, and I still keep. So that's when the Facebook thing's so cool. Like he's retired now. He was uh, like a Broadway drummer and toured with a lot of Broadway shows. And yeah, he took, it was so good. I didn't study with him like I studied once and after. I learned so much, man. It really put me on my path, you know, like tech hand technique stick control all the stuff you need to kind of entry level to get your drumming to the next level you know mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and then and the, but zebra which i should say is with with two z's and yes and uh no no e z right or is it yes ZBRA? is that right for z-z-e-b-r-a oh, okay. yeah just Z-Z-E. one one extra large z got with it a little yeah got it um and that but that's more of like an afrobeat band is that correct yeah, they, well, you know, they were in Vermont, and this, you know, it's how, you know, whatever, not long story short or whatever, this woman from Vermont was traveling around Europe, met this guy Lofty from Zebra. He was from this band Osabisa, which I was a fan of growing up. So when I got the call to go audition for this band, I knew who he was, and I, I knew a lot of the music that he was with, on because I was a fan. And, and Lofty so, was, was a Nigerian musician? Yeah, but percussionist saxophone player songwriter okay so, so he was living in new york and he met this woman and he got married to her and he so he was hanging out in vermont you know and then the singer i knew from boston and but he went to middlebury college you know how well you were up here too you know what i mean it's like we all end up here somehow you know yep so was that your first uh exposure learning or, or playing kind of more african african influence music since you had come from more a you know a theater theater kind of rooting uh drumming rudimental background yeah uh well i listened i used to listen to his bands uh osabisa so i had a little bit but that was like an afro rock band which we were kind of too afro beat afro rock but yeah that was like the next level but i had a little bit of an idea what you know when i came into it and studying with my teacher he wasn't just showing me like broadway stuff it was like everything you know how to play mozambique and Stuff that I still use today. Oh yeah, you know? but, but, you, but so I, so I brought. My, I'm sorry. 
I was just going to say, and, and that that is very clear. I mean, you do use a lot of those a lot of those rhythms in in your playing. Yeah, I'm very lucky, and that's what I I taught from him. And but what I did, I brought my stuff to the table with with this guy Lofty. He was like really open minded. I mean, he had he would dole out certain parts, but then he wouldn't have it for the bridge. So I would put you know just being in a creative situation, it's amazing, you know, to to, to have that. So. But he would dole out some serious rhythms and like all that like if you listen to even like simple twist up day by trey that's a total lift from mm. my years in zebra i could not play that if it wasn't for for me being in zebra and it's a song called nikki you know and it, which is a moving tune you know and uh i mean he was this guy was definitely gearing he saw what osabisa could do and they were touring with the who and they were huge in europe but he was trying to take it to the next level melodically and like songwriting wise. It was still long songs and solos. It was really like kind of a jam band back then, really, in, in, in a lot of ways. You know, it was pretty cool, you know. So what happened? Uh, what happened with that band? Well, we moved to L.A. and um, got a lot of interest right off the bat. I mean, as a matter of fact, our first gig, we I would say this first day we're in LA, we're hanging out with Leon Russell. He became a fan of the band because Lofty knew his percussionist. That's I was right. at Leon, Leon Russell's house. The first, we weren't even in town for an hour and a half. It was my birthday. I was drinking whiskey with Leon Russell, <laughs> it who probably, I was a big fan of. Yeah. So I was like, and I was totally freaking out. And then yeah. I don't know if you know that Carney album, there's a Rolls Royce in the front yard. I, we pulled up and there was the Rolls Royce. I was like, pinch me it's like oh we're moving to la and like next minute i'm hanging out with leon russell who i'm like i've like wept over his songs you know i mean i'm a big still a big fan you know but so we've got some gigs i think we got a we landed a gig at this place to come back in in venice beach and ricky lee jones had just got signed that was her spot and we took her wednesday residency so we locked in right to that and then you know a lot of label interest, but this guy Lofty already had like 10 albums on major labels, and I think he was kind of burnt on the whole label thing. He was kind of really kind of do what Fish has done, kind of create his own little thing. But at the same time, we were all these young guys and wanted to get, you know, at the time it was everybody was getting signed, and sometimes you need those, back then, you, you know, those big labels. There was no internet and stuff, whatever, but... After a while, it, it was just a business thing got a little funny, so we just stopped. We I, I moved back. I moved back to Vermont after that. But you know, sometimes you see you see the writing on the wall. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. I got a lot from the guy. I loved him. Deal. He's passed. He died many many years ago. But pretty interesting cat. Pretty intense, and you know. But I, I think of him often. And all those guys in that band, they're still my friends, and we keep in touch. Do you feel like that? the music you created with that band it was is pretty um influential to to the kind of sound that you you would develop for your own playing style yes and i'll tell you because like i yeah really a lot and you're always at 21 years old 22 years old you're trying to find your spot i mean i was going to see steve gad down in woodstock at this little club with stuff I, and I always tell the story. I, I I went back home after not living on the Cape for a year, and my buddy's like, "Hey, I, the guitar player I let, I sort of stopped playing with, who's still my close friend." And he was like, "Yeah, man, I uh, I'm playing with this drummer. You should come over to our rehearsal." And I said, "Oh, cool, man, new drummer." And, and I came over, and this guy was like so good. It was Vinnie Coluta before oh, he was famous. Before he was famous, yeah. and I remember like, and he he wasn't even doing all the chop stuff. He came over to my house and he was doing it because I bring my drums home for a week in my parents' house and practice, 
And I was like, how am I ever going to be as good as this guy? He's like a he's like a year and a day younger than me. He was just so advanced. I was like, and and like again too, it wasn't always his chops. It was like he was doing all that meter stuff back then that I I, I couldn't barely comprehend when I was twenty one years old. You know? Yeah, I think I think he was because uh, he he studied with um, Gary Chafee, I believe, and yeah, was, exactly. was big into yeah. those books. Yeah, and all that all that linear stuff, and yeah, I mean, he was just killing it. So, I mean, when they got that Zapper gig, my buddy was his roommate in L.A. And I was, so basically the point I'm trying to make is like when I joined Zebra, it was like, ah, this is my little niche. And I had kind of a I had a natural ability for that stuff. I had to work on it, but I had that feeling and it really moved me. So when I joined Zebra, it was like my oh, my light bulb moment, like. This is a band I. This is a style I like and get into, and I still do it. Like even with like uh, with Ray. With I don't know if you checked out any of the uh, Soleil Monday stuff. I have, yeah, it's, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I'm great. totally like drawn again to off Zebra. I didn't make much money in that band, but I got a lot of education. <laughs> well, <laughs> um, that that counts for a lot, absolutely. It does. It it it's changed my life. I mean, Vermont changed my life. I mean, I I moved out of here a couple times. I came back like 14 years ago. I was gone for 22 years, but. My wife's from Vermont, so, but, you know, it's like, all the good stuff I've done has come from Vermont. And I started playing with Trey, like, almost 20 years ago now, and, like, best gig I ever had, you know, sure. got, I mean, you know, in the sense of the next level of, you know, but, yeah, all the good stuff I did, it's crazy sometimes, I think about it. And now I'm back, you know. Where did, but where, so, okay, but, so you said you were in L.A. for, for a little bit. Where else, you know, where else did you go when you left Vermont for those 22 years? I moved back to Boston. I had, I, again, too, I was laying in bed in L.A. like, oh, this band's lofty. This thing ain't working out, man. I just see the writing on the wall. So I had a vision of moving back to Vermont. My son was living in Vermont. So moved back to Vermont, find some musicians. And I was starting to write a lot back then and wanting to be part of the writing process more. Joined a band, get a band together, and then within a year or two, moved to Boston because Boston was really blossoming. Mm -hmm. I was there back when I was 20. But it wasn't the scene it was like two, three years later when the punk thing kicked in. And not that I'm not really into punk music, but because I was already an advanced drummer by then. But but the original scene, which it became, you know, it started with the punk, blossomed it. Then a lot of bands, you know, there's a lot of music. You know, my favorite Boston band is Morphine. You know, how, how can you get better than that? You know, but so so I I got a, I found some musicians to play with my buddy Mike Rush and Pete Linton this other guy John Harley we got like this band we started writing songs like all the time and then we had like two sets worth of material and we moved it down to Boston and we ended up in Salem because we had a guy that had a line in a, like a really nice apartment we could practice in too so we, we stayed 20 miles out, outside the city and we ended up there I ended up there for 22 years and, and I should just say while we're on the topic of Massachusetts that um you and I share some commonalities. Not only did we, uh, well, you live in Vermont now. I, I don't anymore, but I, I did for five years and, and kind of definitely consider it a part of me. Um, and then we both, you grew up in New Bedford, Mass, uh, on the South Shore. I grew up in the literally the next town over in Dartmouth, Mass, which I think is just pretty wild because I don't meet too many people uh, coming out of that area. So I just kind of have to mention that. 
Yeah, that was super cool. Just like, you know, when we were in Quincy at the High Sierra, you mentioned I'm like, whoa! Because yeah. I have a soft spot for that area. I couldn't live there anymore. I'm from this little town of Cushnet, but I mean, New Bedford was like, and I grew up in New Bedford and was born in New Bedford, but it was basically across, New Bedford was across the street, you know? Yep. But yeah, that's I, I, how I started playing drums in the drum corps. My cousin got me into it, and there was a lot of musicians there. That's there's some guys down there that want me to go do some gigs. I, I haven't named to do it, but that's my dream to do some gigs back in New Bedford, man. <laughs> Home, cool. Hometown, hometown, uh, you know, hometown hero. Yeah, whatever. Not even the hero part, but just the fact that still at it, you know? Yeah. So, <laughs> but, you know. So, okay. So, I think your story is pretty fascinating because um, when you joined, when you joined, when you started playing with Trey, which was, uh, I believe around 1998, 99, yep. is that right? Yeah. Not, not, not uh, April 16th, 1998 was the show at High Ground. Nice. Okay, that was and, eight foot fluorescent tubes, is that right? Yeah, and the only reason I know that because I just, with my cellar getting messed up, I still have the cassette with the date on it. Uh, and I'm, I, I got it way up on the shelf. Sweet. <laughs> with all the beginning versions of those songs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but but I, I feel like it's fascinating because, uh, you know, as you just mentioned, you were you know you're 62 now that was just about 20 years ago so you were already you know well i mean you were in your early 40s and 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 kind of well uh established yourself as as a working drummer that as far as i can tell i mean obviously i know you were in lots of bands and had lots of experience but that was certainly the uh the highest caliber gig that that you had up until up until that point and it and it seems like it really um elevated your career to to a, to an entirely new level so yes. so so my question is what was your mindset like leading up to that point before that point i mean were you were you content with your career were you were you seeking something uh bigger or uh more lucrative or you know you know, because you had already, you know, some people never will work all their lives and never, never get the kind of gig like, you know, playing in train Stasio band. So where, where yeah. was your head at those days before it happened? Well, if I back up a little bit, you know, like I went to Boston and in this, in this band, uh, little sister, we were called, got some interest in LA, played in LA, chapel publishing was talking to us, swing singer quits. <laughs> So, so I mean, I'm backing up a little bit. So, what do you do? The three of us, are like, let's keep together. We auditioned for two years, found us singing this great woman, Mary Amsterdam, great songwriter. Right out of the gate, first demo, I brought it to our lawyer, a music lawyer. Major labels are all interested in it. So, do that for eight years, and by the end, we were working with Richard Goddard, where he produced like uh, the Go Go's, that big album by the Go Go's, and the label decided not to put it out. So what happens then, it's like we go for another year and then the depression sits in. You're 40 years old, you think it's the end of your world, you know mm. what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> so for all these years, I've been part of a band, creative, part of a unit. And I never really thought about trying to join a big band. Then after that, like some of my friends would, were getting gigs for like, you know, bigger bands. And I was trying to get involved in that a little bit, never had much success. So by the time... Trey called uh, with, with, you know, I was like, you know, I was psyched for something like that. You know what I mean? <clears throat> but I've been kicking around for two, three years, just playing with different people. I play with that guy, Gordon Stone. Uh -huh. And people were starting to hire me, you know, I play on records. And I, I'm a songwriter. I put out like a little record with this one guy and a 
couple of singles, you know, just trying to keep creative. And I practice every day, work on stuff and just keep at it. You were, you, were you keeping a day job at that point? I, I was a bartender for 20 years. Okay. Way to bartender. But, you know, again, too, a tour come in, you take a month off, they were cool. I've always worked for my friends or people that, like, respected me. So it was not that big of a, you know, deal. And I actually didn't, till, till the end, I, I was getting a little gnarly, but... I, I really kind of liked it, you know, and then you can make decent money. And I was home with my daughter. My wife had a, was a city planner then. And so I had a pretty, pretty sweet life, you know, playing music a lot and pick up my daughter at school. And, you know, now she's 27 years old. You know, I, I have no regrets. You know? Sure. So, so if Trey hadn't, if you hadn't got the call from Trey, it sounds like, you know, things would have, would have been okay still. You you know, I'm always, I mean, I, I say that sometimes, I'm always going to be okay. I'm like, I'll, I'll try, I'll hustle. Now I play with Ray. I never even think I'd be doing an original band again after doing it for 35 years or something. But yeah, you know, I, I appreciate what we do with Trey and it's amazing. And I, I count my blessings, but I, I've always been rustling up something somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's, that's why they call you Russ, right? I guess so. I don't know, man. I have that energy. I, I'm, not, I'm not super hustler, but at least... Oh, whatever. You know, I don't know. I, even since I was a kid, I think about it. I moved to Cape Cod when I was 14, and my best friend on the Cape, he's like, he's a few years old. I'm like, hey, dude, we worked at Burgish, this place, Burgish Chef together. I'm like, dude, I heard him play guitar. I'm like, let's get together. He goes, ah, you need to talk to my brother, because he was a senior and I was a sophomore. So when you're that age difference, when you're younger, it's a big deal. Uh -huh. He's like, blow me up. Now he's, we laugh about it. He was my best friend, and he still is. And, and I've always like thought, you know, trying to put stuff together, you know what I mean? <laughs> So when you, so, okay. So then when you did get the call from Trey though, uh, and those first kind of early days starting to collaborate with him, <laughs> were you kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm sure you recognized on, on some level, if not many levels, what a, uh, what a unique and, and massive opportunity it was, you know, I'm sure you living in Burlington, you were aware of of Fish's yes. fame and presence. Um, <laughs> were you like, man, I gotta, I can't fuck this gig up. I gotta keep this gig. You know, were you kind of stressing about it or were you just like, ah, oh, I'm just gonna, you know, be myself and, you know, where, what was, how did you approach that? I, I mean, I, I was, I, I was nervous, but when I showed up and, and, uh, I think I went to his house first. He was living in like Fairfax and he was such a nice guy. It made me feel so at ease mm. that I got all, he's all hyper and I was too. And I had to almost calm down my hyperness. I was like, yeah, yeah, he's all excited. You know, I love, you know, I get sucked right into that. Being from Mass, man, you know, that what's in the water there. I don't know what it is. You talk fast and, you know, but it was great. But I mean, and again, too, what happened instead of him like, okay, I get this song in like 13, eight, ready. It was more like, what do you got? Mm. And and because he, he was like, well, you know, I'll see what you, what kind of what's in your wheelhouse, which was wonderful and really, I mean, honestly, I was smart, but I mean, I was really fortunate. And so I gave him like the first two beat. I mean, again, too, I've been in original bands my whole life, so I had a backlog of beats, you know, and things. I'm always being creative, so it wasn't like I don't know what I don't know what to play. I I had tons of stuff, and he turned them into songs, <laughs> which was totally amazing. And and I mean? that's probably a probably the best sort of audition process if you want to call it that because what he's basically asking of you is to is to be yourself right off the bat 
Exactly. It's very, very intelligent man. <laughs> yeah, and it may put me at ease. I'm like, oh, I got this beat. Well, what about this? He goes, what else you got? And he'd get a hyped up because I, I get, you know, I had something to offer it. I guess you know. But yeah, it was freaking cool. Because <laughs> <laughs> I've been trying, to, you know, I've been trying to do that with other bands sometimes with more Afro or just something not just a straggler rock beat. But they kind of look at me like I have three heads or something. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, because of my zebra influence, and I saw how that guy operated, he would start with a bass line or a drum beat, you know. I remember writing bass lines in my room. We had, we were all lived in this big farmhouse in Hinesburg, and he'd come in, my brother, we got to do that, man. He'd get all psyched up, and you know, and that's a collaborative thing was what I'm used to, you know. And, uh, and as I understand, Trey was kind of looking for that sort of influence in his music at that time anyway, so it seems like it was, it was meant to be a really good fit. Yeah, I was very lucky <laughs> after 40, 35 years. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. And and so then when you first started getting on getting on the scene with Trey, I know you know, obviously you guys were playing theaters right away and then and then pretty shortly after the band started. I mean, I I know I I think maybe around I want to say 2000 um maybe 2001 I I saw you guys play at, you know, Great Woods and Mansfield Mass, you know, so you were playing kind of big shed, bigger sheds. Uh, yeah, was was I'm not sure if how much experience you had playing those size rooms before uh, was well, I, I guess my question is, is uh, two parts, which is was was transitioning to those bigger, bigger uh, spaces different for you as far as how you approach the, the music. And also, do you feel like being in that band maybe elevated your playing because you had to step up to a a more uh legitimate professional playing style not that not that what you were doing before wasn't but you know you're all of a sudden in front of 15 20,000 people it's like every note matters you know a lot more than maybe if you were just in a club yeah i call it, i call it like the margin of error has to be a lot less mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. like and you take it you take everything a little bit more to heart i mean i come pretty prepared but then you realize too you got to exercise. You got to have that extra gas tank for those big shows. And sometimes, sometimes like that song "Last Tube," you know, I would do these little grace notes, and then you sometimes you have to simplify it because it's so big, it's such a big room. Not always, but you know what I mean. So these little ideas, and after a while, you can't be like balls to the wall. You got to like reserve your energy. So look, it's those little things you learn, and you hear people talk about that, you know. And it's all about sleep, and you know, and. Uh, and you know, getting it all, you know, whatever you learn as you go. And I'm still learning, you know, but, but I definitely, the first thing I figured out is getting the gym every day, at least for a half hour cardio, mm -hmm. halfway through a tour, you fold and you can't, you don't have that extra gas. Tank, and are you, know? you able to do that on the road? Yes. I, I have a little thing with, with uh zero. Cause I, he showed me one day on my phone. I said, he said, what'd you do today? He goes, ah, I walked up like, I don't know, 45 flights. He goes, no way. Give me your phone on your iPhone. There's a little heart. And I never even used it. And it showed that I did like, I, I wasn't lying. He thought maybe I was bullshitting him that I was just saying, oh, I went up 10 flights or something. I go up, you know, these, especially like in New York or something, when there's 30, 40 floors, I just, I don't like going to the gym. I just like walking up the stairs and hmm. back listening to my, you know, some music or podcast or something. Sure. Sure. <laughs> and at home, I get I ride my bike, and I'm not like some big exerciser, but you know, you just they kind of lift it up a little bit, you know. Yeah, Yeah, I mean, especially at uh, you know, as you get older too, it's it becomes even more important. I'm sure, as you know. 
it, it does. And I'm strict vegan. I've been a vegan and a vegetarian for a long, long time. And eating really good really helps. And nice. Nice. You know what I mean? You're just going to keep up with it. if you. And I'm hyper. So I'm, and all those years, I'm like, Russ, slow down. Now I'm glad I'm hyper because I, I'm keeping up to everybody else, you know, and have that extra gas tank. And I must say that out, out of, you know, your your role in, in, in Trey Band, I mean, if as far as any drummer, I feel like you really kind of embody, like, I look, I watch you and I'm like, that man is an athlete, you know, because you, some of those songs, it's like you... You get in a groove and and you kind of stay cruising at seventy five miles per an hour for you know the fifteen <laughs> minutes and you know you you know the the horn players they get to uh, put their horns down you know and uh, but you 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 are you are you know still going so the the stamina you have is very impressive. Well, thank you. A lot of people say that I don't think about it. Sometimes I go, yeah, maybe I do. Because you never get a break. <laughs> I go, I guess I don't, but. I love being a drummer, man. I, I love what I, you know, it's like, you know, it's, it's, it's pretty cool, you know, and it's, it's, I, you know, whatever you just, yeah, but you gotta be in shape for it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And another thing that I'll comment on about your playing style that maybe you have uh, some thoughts on this is it's, it's really interesting to me because um, I, uh, I feel like your playing is, is is very syncopated um as far as like you, the afrobeat tony allen kind of you know and and mozambique and all this stuff all all these all these rhythms like it's it's all there it it all comes across and and there's there's tons of uh interesting syncopation going on in your playing but but in a way that is still very smooth where it where it's almost like it's it's a continuous syncopation so so the music it, it kind of creates a very be, between you and tony uh it creates a very solid bed um for for the rest of the rest of the band to play on like so even though there's there's tons of stuff going on and and polyrhythms and all that it doesn't it doesn't feel like the the music is um you know wavering in in the way that you know, sometimes I, I think about syncopated playing, like it, it creates this very s smooth bed, which is, it's just kind of like a, a paradox in some ways, but it's very cool. Have you thought about that in, in that way oh, at yes, all? Yes, yes. I mean, definitely because the way Tony plays too. But the thing, the more, like what happened to me back in, mainly even in the 70s, I got sucked right into all that fusion stuff, you know, went to the store to buy Who Quadrophenia and, they, and this girl was like, ah, check out this Billy Cobham record. So you get sucked into the that for a while. But then after a while, it felt really forced to me. Mm. So I, it's really important for me to get, like, you know, Trey always says that like, you get that swing. People say that, give me the rust feel. And I get that swing in my plan. I'm like, I didn't really think about it until somebody really pointed it out. But I, it's important. And I've gotten more into it, just all the old R&B stuff and James Brown. And get that bed, man. All that James Brown stuff is, like, unbelievable, you know. Would you, would you play along with, with those records, Clyde, Clyde Stubblefield and Jabo and... Yeah, uh, even probably with just within the well, I play, you know, playing with like that, that Grippo Funk Band in Burlington, they do all that stuff. So that made me want to button it up even more. And there's this book that uh, they put out <coughs> with Chuck Silverman, and it's all the it's transcribes all the drum parts, bass, and piano and guitar. On yeah, I've, I've seen and, that book. That's yeah, a great it's amazing. Book. And it's all like, like Sex Machine, you don't realize is that little subtle left hand thing that happens. And But I've always, I grew up with that stuff too, and, and I always loved it too. But you definitely, 
you know, and hit, you know, the hip hop thing. And I, I went through a couple of just one hip hop book and it really just put my life. It was kind of like my, what I grew up with and just added a few more things to it, you know? What, so what really book changed. was that? I can't even remember. Jesus. Well, sometimes I've come across these books. Was it, uh, it wasn't the breakbeat Bible, was it? No, it wasn't that one. Okay. I can't remember. Just had these cool, but you know, like you get to when I started playing with trade, like that got in my style too. Then my son really got me into acid jazz too. And that was kind of like, I grew up listening to Tower of Power. So it was like the Tower of Power feel, but with the just more contemporary or oh, whatever, more of a, uh, you know, the hipster, uh, you know, acid jazz thing or something sound, but you know, everything, you know, whatever. It's just that whole thing. Even now I'm like the more as what people get, some drummers get forced when I'm like, I'm trying to just like, just keep it swinging, you know, more even like, you know, I love, I love, you know, obviously Ringo or like I played with this band and like we did, so they pulled out like a little wing and I did that opening lick and they were, everybody was freaking out. I was like, I grew up with that stuff. And you listen to Mitch Mitchell, he's swinging like a bastard, you know? It's so good. Yeah, yeah, he's he's all about the, the triplet feel too. It's, it's uh, that really comes yeah, across. That, yeah, and that's that era because they're 10 years older than me, so more, so they that was part, that was in the air. I didn't want nothing to do with 50s music when I was a kid. I said, argue with my uncle. He's like, I love Elvis Presley. And I'm like, he sucks. I like the Beatles. You know what I mean? Yeah. But you realize you're just a young kid. You don't know. You just know what you like. But then you go back and try to play that swing stuff and you don't, you have to really work at it, you know? And, and were you a jazz player? No, not really. I, I mean, I when I started taking lessons, they were giving me jazz stuff and I I was more like if anything when it gets to be stretched out I was more influenced by the fusion kind of thing weather report or chick Corea and that stuff and didn't really I mean I, I went through the books and stuff a bit with my teacher but I never really played it too much you know I um, I mean I love it I got really into it after but I, I'm, I'm talking I was 19 years old it wasn't you know there was like a funny time you know and it was and then I would start listening to like Light as a Feather by Chick Corea, which that was Ayoto. And that was more kind of what I like because it had a little more Brazilian feel to it. You know, yeah. That album was a, big, was a big influence. And there was a band near my house that used to play this coffee house. I would go see them a lot and they would do that thing. You know, it was little monumental moments you have, you know, and uh, it was pretty cool. But then I got way into the court, you know, Art Blakey and Max Roach and all those quartets they had with, you know, you know, a sax and, and, a, and a trumpet and that whole sound. Amazing, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you've been in in lots of lots of bands. I'm wondering, in all your years of, of experience, if you can try to pinpoint what keeps a band together. Well, I mean, it's like, obviously, when you're in a, like a band, like the Trey Band, there's got to be no drama. You've got to be cool. Like, like you talk about the drummer's resource. It's like, how, how many times have you heard... You got to be cool on the road, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like you got to have a good attitude, you know. I mean, you get even just four guys together. There's always the curmudgeon guy. There's always this and that. But it all depends how what level you're at. Like I play with the same bass player from '81 to like '98. Wow, a long time. He's my dear friend. I love him dearly. And I, we still get together, and I, you know, <clears throat> just some people step up. You know, nobody's dropping the ball. You know, or whatever. Everybody's got their, you know. You just get people that still want to do it, and and I know sometimes you just contribute. Everybody's contributing or whatever. Being it's a creative process, you know. Every band's sort of different, but you all got to really just be reasonable people. You know what I mean? <laughs> that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. What are you kind of looking for in a band leader? Well, 
I, yeah, I mean, it, when I was younger, like when I was in that band Zebra, that guy would just like, you know, it was my first like being in a band with like a leader kind of thing. And he was like, we got, you know, sometimes it can be a little unreasonable. And when you're young, you kind of put up with it, I guess. But, you know, you're looking for, you know, but you realize how hard of a job it is, even, you know, coming up with new material and this and that, and making business decisions or whatever. But again, too, it just be somebody you can hang with or whatever. It's something that's reasonable. Oh, you agree business wise or whatever. You're not feeling, you know, like, you know, sometimes when I'm in that lot in that zebra band, some people, other people audition like, I can't deal with this guy, you know, mm. <laughs> whatever. Mm -hmm. They kind of read right into it. Maybe I was just hungry too, but eventually I figured it out. But it's, you know. I'm just looking, you know, some keep the keep the process going. The business has got to be in, important too, you know. All the little things, you know. How how much of your time is is split between uh, working on music and and working on on your business? Well, I mean, every day I wake up and I want to practice, but like even like today, it's like we got we're going to Colorado, Ray and I, in October after November about the trade tour. So I'm thinking about flights. I'm thinking about rental stuff out there and. Or just like blocking dates or talking to our manager or our booker and and I got like a session coming up and I, I got a conference call with them. So I'm setting all this stuff up or at night I'm doing it and it's a very it's really important. You realize how it's so important. Mm -hmm. And again too, that's what I mean. Even when I was in Boston, I would always get the gigs for the band. It's a little club and there's like, you know, ten thousand bands. So you're just trying to get an opening slot, you know what I mean? And get get known. So it's you just gotta keep at it, you know. Like I have a conference call tomorrow with this other guy in LA. I'm playing this really good songwriter, man. And, and then uh, whatever, I'm rehearsing with Ray today at four o'clock, you know, just try to keep it rolling all the above. Yep. So it's, you gotta stay on it. You can't, you know, you gotta be on it, you know? And I'm, uh, you know, I'm nobody compared to some other guy. I was just reading, I just finished uh, Pete Townsend's book and he said, oh, I work sometimes 12, 16 hours a day. I'm like, and I know it's on music. He's got big management, but that's a lot, man. Yeah. I'm like, does he, does he really do that much? Right, wow. yeah. Especially especially you kind of maybe project like once you get to the level of Pete Townsend, maybe you don't need to do so much, uh, but maybe that's not true at all. I mean, even with such a big team. Yeah, he's just into doing all this creative stuff, man. He's just a creative dude. It's so impressive. Mm -hmm. and, you know, but you know, I just try to chip away. That's my theory. Chip away, practice. You know, wake up. I'm fortunate. I don't have to, you know, I teach lessons, which I totally love. So, like, you know, sometimes, you know, three, four o'clock, I get a couple lessons. So I try to get my practice in time before then, check in on some gigs. And and you're still pretty dedicated to, to daily practice. Per, yes. Matter of fact, my, uh, my, my wife's home today and she's put me to work and I'm getting, I was getting kind of gnarly for a while because I wanted to work on some music. <laughs> <laughs> I know the feeling. Yeah. <laughs> So you try to balance that out too. My, I've been married a long time. My wife's amazing. She puts up in me, and but like, yeah, I'm very dead. I love. I just, I've been doing that my whole life. Just get up in my room and express myself. And I get a session in next week, and I want to come into the session prepared. You know, sure, sure. And then uh, I got stuff for Ray. I work. I, we got three new songs. We gotta get a, you know, get out there. And we should take, we should take a little more chances. But now that we're doing bigger gigs. We don't, we, we're afraid to take the chance as we used to with some of the songs that ain't quite up as good as speed as the new, older ones were. Sure, sure. And how's that, how's that group been? How's it, how's it been? That's Sole Mondo? Monday. It's open to interpretation. Soul is my middle name. S -O, I call it S-O-U-L-E, but we came up, Ray came up with that and called it Sole, oh, which cool. people call me Sole too. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, it's a family name. From Dartmouth, from Dartmouth, man. 
What's from Dartmouth? That's old name. Uh, you, what do you my mean? Relatives. My relatives. It's one of my father's like uncles. Oh, okay. That's their, nice. last, that's their last name. They're from some of my father. My father's family's from Dartmouth. Well, they were. They're all past now. But okay. Yeah. So, so with Ray and I, we're doing good. It's been a long process. It started as a once a month gig I got for us in this little club that had a Hammond B3 to Slybrook and Sugarbush. And it sounded so good. We make these little home tapes. And it's like, I remember that day, like Ray said, wow, I mixed down some of that stuff. It sounds really good. So, you know, again, too, if, give me, give me an opportunity. I'll try to get gigs, you know? So I'd get a couple more gigs and then this girl, Cassie wanted to manage in us. And then crossover touring that Pat May, wonderful Pat May, he offered to start booking us. So, I mean, it was like we're a band on the road all the time. We were out a lot in March and in June, but we just keep chipping away. We're on Rope It Up Records now and Excellent. just keep writing and, you know, balance out the tray stuff with this. And, you know, sometimes we're slower than more, you know, we're not, we're not like a band that goes out for two months. We're not like 22, unfortunately. So we kind of try to be realistic about it, but keep chipping away. You know, we got a new record we wanted to start doing, working on and, uh, and it, it, it was the creative process. I bring in a lot of beats and Ray's an amazing collaborator and an amazing keyboard player. And we come up with some cool stuff, you know? I felt very fortunate. <laughs> yeah. When, and I'm sure you experienced this. You know, one of the things that I'll often think about is, is one of the interesting things about being a working drummer, freelance, you know, being in bands is, you know, you, you have your, you have your bigger gigs and then you have, you know, you're not so bigger gigs and, and there's no, and, and, you know, you, it's kind of like, you're always back and forth between, you know, I might be like, I've played some of like the most beautiful rooms in, in Europe, you know, kind of thing. And then I'm like at the local cafe, you know, playing for 15 people, you know, some nights. So I'm sure, yeah, you know, it's you know being in tray band and going around the country playing sheds and then you know i'm sure you play some smaller places with with ray and it is that it all gets your head or you just kind of it's just kind of par for the course i love it man i love it nice i mean it's just the way you do my best like i tell people it's like one time i we got a last minute gig at lock-in with trey so i called frantically called down in boston because i need somebody to cover my wedding gig that i had mm. which does it's an amazing band it's not your usual wedding band grip a funk band pays right. very good so i call all the big boys down in boston you know dave desenso and this guy right. teaches at berkeley and uh and then dave maddox who's an amazing drummer from london who now lives around boston and who play with you know you know whatever you play with everybody fairport convention nobody could do it so they 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 gave me uh <coughs> kenwood Dernard's number so uh. kenwood was great nice enough to come up cover my gig and those guys are happy because it was Kenwood because all the songs they play are totally from that whole era, you know, that he, he played with uh, Maceo on that live album. Mm -hmm. And so I, so I went, flew, flew to there, flew back the next day and did another wedding with those guys at Shelburne Farms. Right. But it's, it's great. I mean, what I really learned too is when I was living in Woodstock, there was this little plus the Joyous Lake. I saw so much music there. And everybody would be sitting in. It was this little place that hold more uh, than 200 people, something like that. Like, wait a minute, that's Steve Gadd. Oh, that's Jack DeJanet sitting in tonight. Oh, wow, that's, you know, I mean, it's like everybody just played with each other. I remember showing up at a gig in Woodstock and Harvey Brooks was on the bass. And this is his guitar teacher. And Harvey Brooks played on Bitches Brew, you know. And I was like, uh, and he played with Bob Dylan. I'm like, I'm in trouble. <laughs> but it was a $50 gig, you know. It was like, because he lives down the street, you know, it's like, play you know it's cool 
It's yeah. And so you know, you you think everybody's just doing big gigs, and I mean, maybe he didn't need the money, but it, but you need to play. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> or absolutely. Happy to do it, or maybe you're covering somebody's ass if they need somebody. But you realize this, you know, it's all, it's you know, you just need to do it. It's a challenge. I mean, you think about. I listened to the like Thelonious Monk live at the Five Spot. It's like there's like five people clapping. It's like the most amazing music. It's like there's no lights and sound and big rock thing. It's like those guys are just getting. The, kicking ass man yeah. <laughs> that gig you know yeah there's 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 definitely a lesson a lesson in that yeah it's not uh it, it, the, the amount of people you're playing in front of doesn't always correlate to the quality of the band or the music so yeah it's, it, you could be the smallest gig and get your butt kicked mm-hmm. musically you know mm-hmm. like if you're not cutting it as well as you'd like to or whatever yeah everything's a challenge it, it, it's just music man it's i just feel so lucky i'm still doing it because I could be not doing anything, you know. <laughs> I could be sitting home or, or, or playing really bad gigs all the time or something. You know right, what I mean? Right. Um, hey, well, I know I know you got a lot on your plate, so I don't want to take up too much more of your time. But anyway, I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to chat with me. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. So great to connect again. Thanks so much for thanks so much for having. It means a lot, man. I don't take this stuff lightly. Oh, my, it means a lot to me. Okay, man. Take care. So there you have it. There's Russ Lawton. Thanks so much, Russ, for coming on the show again. It was really great to, to chat and, and hang on the phone. And I, uh, I really appreciate it. And thank you all for tuning in. That's all we got for this week. I'll see you really soon again, though. So uh, be well and, uh, you know, don't do anything I wouldn't do unless you feel like it because you are your own boss and I don't want to tell you how to live your life. But I do love you. So take care. Make good decisions, and I'll see you next time. Peace out.